are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Well, good morning. I am excited to share God's Word with you today. In 1961, a man named Ben King wrote a song with a couple of friends, and then he recorded the song, and uh, it went to number one on the music charts. Rolling Stone has determined that it is the, one of the top 500 songs, rather, of all time. And uh, what you don't know about the song, Stand By Me, is that it was probably inspired by a Christian song written by Sam Cooke um, called Stand By Me, Father. And the second verse of Stand By Me is taken from Psalm 46. And so what, what Ben does is he wrote the song, or what he did is he wrote the song, was he tried to imagine the most difficult future he could imagine. And so the words went like this, when the night has come and the land is dark and the moon is the only light we see. Second verse, it gets more bleak. And that comes from Psalm 46. So if the sky that we look upon should tumble and fall and uh, the mountain should crumble to the sea. And then then he offers this hope. I won't be afraid. No, I won't be afraid. If you will stand, just stand, stand by me. I think he was writing it to a a girl, right? But one one day, a few years ago, I was at a funeral at a church that was pastored by an African-American man, and the church was attended by predominantly African-American people. And the person who died was very young. He was a young man. And the pastor was preaching. And, and as he was preaching, the whole sermon, there was somebody on the organ. And they were just in unison. Then they, they were in sync. I mean, he would build up and the organ would build. And then he would back down and the organ would just bump, 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 bump. I think that's one of the things my preaching is missing, is an organist <laughs> while I'm preaching. And somewhere in that sermon... The organist is with him. He just breaks into song and he starts singing that song to the Lord. When the night is come and the land is dark and the moon is the only light we'll see. Oh, I won't be afraid. Lord, I won't be afraid. If you will stand, just stand. Stand by me. I I felt like it was one of the most appropriate songs I've ever heard at a funeral in all my life. Now, now you know this, but, but I'm compelled to remind you of this. As we enter into this season of Advent, I think I should remind you that Advent is about the future. And, and it's all of our hopes and fears about the future. I mean, Advent is, is not about so much what's happening right now. Advent is about the future. And so it's you and I coming to this place in our lives that we believe and that we hope and that we wait and we long with the future in mind, believing that God is going to do something new. I mean, think about all the stories in the Bible of the people who waited for the coming of the Messiah, right? And so you understand that in the Christian calendar, during, you know, when we get to Christmas Day, we celebrate, what, Jesus' birth. In Lent, we remember His suffering. And on Good Friday, we remember His death. But on 
Easter morning, we remember His resurrection. But during the season of Advent, over these next four weeks, we prepare ourselves for His coming. And so that's why I said last Sunday, Advent is not about, it's not about hurrying. It's not about getting real busy these next four weeks. It's about waiting. Believing that God has our future in His hands. Could I just say this to you today? And there's somebody here who really needs to hear it. When you get to the future, God will already be there doing something new. And so you don't have to live in worry and fear about the future. In fact, what I want to talk to you for the next few weeks is why don't we live in anticipation, trusting, believing, and hoping that God has our future in His hands, knowing that when I get to the future, God will already be there doing something new. So if you will grab the Bible, the uh, lectionary reading uh, from the epistle this week is from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'm going to start reading with verse 3. So now Paul is writing to a group of people who were not born Jewish. They don't have this rich heritage that the Jewish people had. And so many of you grew up going to church. You have this, uh, this Christian memory, okay? Some of you would say, Pastor Rick, I didn't grow up like that. I don't have that Christian memory that a lot of other people had. And so you might relate more to these people who are making up this small group of believers in Corinth. They didn't have all of that rich heritage. So they grew up as Gentiles, but they have converted to Christianity now, caught up in this great movement of God's love that has God who has now been revealed in Jesus and who is doing something new in the world, okay? And so the center of his conversation is Jesus. In fact, in these seven verses, he says Jesus Christ or Christ six times, all right? So if you take Jesus Christ out of this conversation, you don't have a conversation. Jesus is at the center of the conversation. It's one of those things where that you know in your heart right now... um, that um, that he is writing to the people of Corinth, but I don't think it's wrong for you um, to personalize it, okay? In fact, I think it's a, a good thing to do, all right? So, so grace and peace to you, Marilyn, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's okay just to put your name there, okay? I always thank my God for you, Jim. Because of His grace He has given you, Bobby, in Christ Jesus. For in Him, you've been enriched in every way. With all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, Lewis, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm. I mean, that's that's hope for the future, right? To the end, so that you, Doug, 
will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this line, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. When you and I think about time, we think about time intenses, okay? So I don't talk about it much, but the fact of the matter is I was raised in a small Kentucky town. So when I say that, what am I talking about? I'm actually talking about, um, well, I guess I could leave it here and maybe reorient myself a little bit. I'm really talking about, does this say past over here? I'm really talking about the past. I got a little confused. Forgive me. So, so when we think about time, we think about it in tenses. And, and we think about it in three tenses. And so when I talk about something that has happened to me um, before now, I'm, I'm thinking about the past. So this, that's where I was raised. Now, when, when I talk about the fact that I have the wonderful privilege right now of being the pastor of this church and living in Oklahoma City, obviously I'm talking about the present, right? Yeah. But, but if I talk about my future, if I say, you know, I, I, I don't know where God has me in the future. I, I love being here and I hope the Lord will let me be here a long time. In fact, I could just see myself maybe never ever moving away from Oklahoma. I love Oklahoma. It's like the guy who said... Uh, Are you saying you love me or you love Oklahoma? It doesn't matter. I wasn't raised here, but I got here as quick as I could. That's how I feel about it. And so then I'm talking about the future, okay? Now, now people who do marketing, they understand the way that we think about time, that we orient ourselves to time in that way, in the past, in the present, and, and in the future. Because people who sell jewelry, they have collections called past, present, and future, Right? And, and every time you see past, present, and future jewelry, there, jewelry there, there are three diamonds in each one. And you know what those diamonds stand for? Past, present, future. You don't catch on real quick, but you're awfully kind to me this morning. <laughs> Zales, Zales, I saw this ad the other day, which got me thinking hard about this. Zales has this ad, and some of you are going to go, ah, and some of you are just going to roll your eyes and want to gag a little bit, okay? But here's, what, here's the tagline for their, for their sales pitch. Tell her that you can't imagine yesterday, today, or tomorrow without her by your side. <laughs> Annette, I can't imagine yesterday, today, or tomorrow without you right here by my side. And I mean that. I wasn't making that up. That's a true story. When Paul writes his letters, he often writes with this in mind, past, present, and future. And that's what he does right here. That's how the verses that I read to you are framed. He says, you know what? When I think about what God has done in your past, I am so thankful. And then he talks about where they are now and how God is at work in their lives right now and what God is doing in them right now, then he begins to offer them some hope because if that's what God has done in your past and this is how God is with you now, just think about the future. You don't have to worry or be afraid about what's going to happen in the future. And so that's how he frames this 
conversation that he's in. Now, the reason that I think that it's important for me to stand up on a Sunday morning and say to you that when you get to your future, God is already there. The reason I think it's important to talk about the future in that way is because you and I deal with a temptation, and that temptation is to worry. And what we tend to worry about is the future. The Kindle company that creates tablets says the number one verse of Scripture in the Bible that is underlined and highlighted is Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. It's the number one verse that gets highlighted and underlined. It's about worry, and we only worry about the future. So you're sitting in your house one evening. You've kind of locked the place down for the night. You're in a living room. You've got a book in your hand. And all of a sudden, your front door burst open. What happens? Your heart races. Your muscles tighten. Your breathing becomes shallow. You're experiencing what? Fear. That could be a positive thing, right? Fear would be this distressing emotion that is aroused by impending danger or pain. So, so it's something that happens to me um, even uh, in every way when, 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 I, when I all of a sudden believe that, that there is impending danger or pain. Now, now that's a very positive thing, right? What, what happens is that fear can be a negative thing because if we're not careful, we can live in fear. And God has made it really clear in His Word that He doesn't want that for you. When you think about your future, He does not want you to be afraid. In fact, over 120 times, God says in His Word, I don't want you to be afraid. When you think about the future, the one thing that I don't want you to feel is fear. God says it 120 times. Why do you think God says it 120 times? Because you and I probably need to hear it about 120 times. I think that's why. And so here's how Paul begins to deal with it. He says, let's just think together, okay? Let's think about the past, all right? Let's think about, and here's his language, the grace given you in Christ Jesus. I mean, just think about what God has done for you. If you just look at your past and you just try to focus, look what God has done, the grace God has given you. You didn't deserve it. You did not earn it. You didn't even know how badly you needed it. But God came to you in Christ Jesus and He poured His grace out upon you. And He has forgiven you of your sins. And He goes further to say, look at what He has done in your life since then. I mean, think about your own life and how God has helped you to grow in knowledge. Look how much you've learned about living this life and how much you've learned about God and how much you've learned about Jesus. And now you're a learning community there in Corinth and you're teaching one another. Look at what God has done for you in your past. Doesn't that give you a hint about the future? So I think if we're going to talk about the fact that when you get to your future, God is already there and He is doing something new. 
And, and, and it's good to know because we are tempted to worry a little bit, and what we worry about is about the future. And Paul starts us by saying, let's just focus on the past, and let's just remind ourselves of all that God has done. I think the next step that we have to ask ourselves is kind of what, what, do, we, what do we do with this? What, how, do we, how do we move forward from here? What, what does God expect of us today? Now, I, I, I travel a little bit, not a lot, but when I travel, I do not like packing. And I got a feeling there's a lot of you that would say, I don't enjoy packing. I don't enjoy it so much that I've come to the place in my life, and Annette knows it, and she struggles with it a little bit, but I don't, I don't start packing until right before I leave. Okay, so I'm not going to pack the night before. If I've got to leave at 5 in the morning, I'm not packing until right before I leave. If I'm going to Africa, I don't pack until right before I leave. You say, do you ever forget anything? Absolutely. I forget stuff like crazy. But I hate packing early so bad that I'm still not going to do it. I'm just going to pack right before I leave. And so when I think about where Paul takes us in this next conversation, okay, that's what it feels like to me. When I think about going on a journey, I pack a bag. And I get everything that I need for the journey. So what Paul is saying to these young believers in Corinth God has packed your bag for the journey. He says it like this. He has given you every spiritual gift that you need. All right? God has fully equipped you for what you need to live this life that you're presently living right now. You have everything to do, you everything you need rather, to do what God has asked you to do now. And so when you talk about spiritual gifts, there's many lists throughout the Scripture. They're they're gifts like, um, like giving. That would be a spiritual gift. Some of you have the gift of giving. My daughter, Brittany, has the gift of giving. Brittany just gives away like crazy. She can be walking down the street and and give most of what she has with her away before she gets to her car. She just tends to give things. When you get a gift from Brittany, you have gotten an incredible gift. She is so... I don't know how she does it. I wish I could give like she gives. Other gifts are gifts like service. Now, now, there are people sitting right in front of me here. You, you guys have the gift of service. Anytime we say we need volunteers, your hand just pops up like crazy. You just have the gift of serving. It's, some of you have the gift of teaching. I come to some of your classes. I listen to some of you teach. There are times when I listen to people teach, and I think, wow, what a gift. You just have the gift of teaching. Some of you, I was at somebody's house Friday night, I'm telling you, they have the gift of hospitality. They are gifted when it comes to hospitality. I meet people all the time who have the gift of evangelism. I'm I'm, I'm praying that God, you know, the Bible says eagerly desire the gifts. And so there's, there's gifts that I just pray, God, give me gifts. And so he says that God has given you gifts. You are fully equipped. You don't need to compare yourself even to the other Jewish people who have been on this journey a lot longer than you. I'm telling you right now today, God has given you the gifts you need to live the life He has called you to live. And so what you do is you just live it right here in the present. You just, you just do it. Now, it's interesting how He says you do it. When I met Annette years ago, if I was telling you about us meeting... And you said, where'd you go on your first date? What if I said, we went to a waiting room? Really? Yeah, we just found a waiting room. We went there. What'd y'all do? We just waited around. She said, can I ask you a question? I said, can you wait a minute? You would say, 
You went to a waiting room? I mean, can you imagine if you were talking with friends and they said, yeah, Friday night we all went out together. Where'd y'all go? We went to a waiting room. You don't go to waiting rooms. You avoid waiting rooms. Waiting rooms are not good. They're bad. You try to not go to waiting rooms. We see waiting as a negative thing. Why wait? I don't want to wait. I had to wait. But Paul says you live out this life, okay, right now, as you are eagerly waiting. And he puts a positive spin for Jesus Christ to be revealed. For Jesus to be made known as he one day will. This kingdom of God just coming to earth. Now, uh, I preached a sermon a while back on fear. And uh, when I did, I was, uh, I was asking lots of people in the weeks prior to to uh, tell me what they were afraid of. And, and if I had a conversation with you, I'd ask you, so what are you, what are you afraid of? What do you fear? And I had all kinds of responses, um, everything you can imagine. Um, afraid of snakes, afraid of spiders, afraid of the dark, all the kind of typical responses you would think you would get. But the one that really bothered me, and I talked about it some that Sunday morning, the number of people who said to me, I'm afraid I'm not good enough. These are people who go to church with me. These are people who know you are saved by grace, through faith, not of yourselves. This is a gift from God. I know, Pastor, but I'm saved to do good works, and I don't know that I'm good enough. And I just had this concern that when I come to the end... Well, I have been good enough. Now, when I open the Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I get a little excited because Paul says, let me just talk to you a minute, okay? You, you remember how God came to you in your past and how by grace He saved you and how powerfully he gave you this gift of salvation and how He has been working in your life. You think about your past and your journey with God and you think about now what God is doing and how you are equipped for every good work that He has called you to. And if God did that in your past and He's doing this right now, don't you think that you can trust your future to God? And here's the way He says it. He will keep you blameless. Until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. If God did this for you then, and He's doing this for you now. I mean, some of you could stand up and just testify. Let me tell you, the Lord has been faithful to me, and the Lord is faithful to me. And you can just trust Him then with your future So the other day I was up here in my office and Annette says to me, she says, um, Hey Rick, her office is just outside of mine. Uh, somebody's here to see you. 
And so I look up and walking in the door is this precious little 11-year-old girl. And I said, hey. And she said, I just thought I would stop and say hi. And I said, well, come on in. You can sit down if you want. I was sitting at a round table. I'm just working. And so I said to her, How, how's it going? And she said, it's okay. And then she says to me, we have a court date in a couple of weeks. I said, oh, okay. And what, what's that court date about? And she said, guardianship. I said, you know, I'm praying about that with you. And so this is a little girl who was raised by her grandmother. Okay, she's now 11. And two weeks ago, her grandmother passed away. Now, you, you may say, Rick, where I stand today, I feel somewhat uncertain about my future. Then, then you can feel with this little girl, can't you? A lot of uncertainty about the future. And so she's been living with one of the pastors on our staff and his family. And that court date is about them having guardianship of her. And so a little while later, she and I walked through the office and we found ourselves standing in front of that pastor's office door and he was sitting at his desk and I said, she told me you have a court date in a couple weeks. He says, yeah, we do. And I said, I told her we're going to pray about this. And he said, we are. I looked at her and I kind of smiled and she had a little bit of an embarrassed grin across her face. And she said something I wasn't expecting to hear her say. She said, I know they love me. He teared up. And I teared up. And that little girl was saying, when the land is dark, the night has come, the moon's the only light we'll see. When life falls apart, the sky we look upon begins to tumble and fall. The mountain should crumble into the sea. I won't be afraid if these people will stand by me. You know, because I look at how they've cared for me. And I look at what they're doing for me right now. That, that, that I can see the future being okay. I can feel hopeful about the future. And for Paul, with the Corinthian church, he said, when you think about what God has done for you, and you think about how God has His hand on you now, I don't think you have any reason to worry about the future. I think you can pretty much rest assured that God's going to take care of you. And on that day, He will present you blameless. And so I'd like to say to everyone here this morning, when you think about how God has worked in your life and the fact that God has been faithful to you and cared for you and blessed you and loved you and extended His grace to you, you did not deserve or earn it. And you think about what God is doing in your life today and where you are now. I think you can pretty much rest assured that God has your future in His hands. Amen?
Amen. So I want you to stand with me, if you will. And I think it's good for us this morning to celebrate the fact that God has been with us and that He is with us and that He will be with us. And those of you who are going to service, if you will come now and prepare yourself to do that, we can celebrate this in the act of the Lord's Supper, the act of communion, receiving the elements, celebrating His presence in our past, His presence now and the promise of His presence in the future. So we practice open communion. You do not have to be a member of this local church to receive the elements with us. If you are sincerely seeking Jesus in your heart, you desire Him. And I would invite you to take the cup as it passes. There will be two cups stacked together. Take both of them. The bottom cup is the bread. You can simply put that in your hand and restack the cups if that's easier. And then hold them. And then after everybody is served, we will eat and we will drink together as one big family. Because what happens in the book of Corinthians is that God is calling all people to be part of this worldwide family, the family of God. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.